0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast, and I hope that this episode finds you happy, healthy, and wealthy. Hope you guys are doing great out there. I know that everything's going real good around here, and uh, today's episode is is a really good one. I have a uh, this is my buddy Chris. He's from Twitter, and um, Chris's story is a little bit different from mine. You know, um, he was able to find his solution through Naltrexone, and um, You know, here's the thing, guys, is that there are so many different pathways to freedom. And one of the goals of this podcast is to highlight each and every one of them that I can, you know, get on the show. And this is a a new one. And uh, I don't know, this is a really fun conversation. Not only did we talk about, you know, his story, but we also talked about some of the uh, some of the harm that can be caused by, you know, medicating kids early on with behavioral health meds, Um, you know, like your Ritalins and your Johnny B. Good Meds is, I think, what I called him in there. But um, anyways, this is a fun episode. Uh, Chris is a great guy, and I know you guys are going to enjoy this. So without any further ado, here is Chris. All right. I am here with my friend, Chris. Thank you so much for coming on, buddy. How you doing this evening?
1: Not too bad. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's been a good week. We're going to be all right. They're saying we're going to get another round of snow out here in Oklahoma, but uh, we will
1: work on it um yeah i got freezing temps this weekend i'm not looking forward to because i just i planted a little stuff a little early i get every time man excited every year but
0: yeah yeah every time you try to get a jump every on that on that cold snap man it just comes through and fucks you um that's how it goes <laughs> yeah but uh no man I, I wanted to bring you on because you are a, a fellow traveler of sorts um you know in terms of recovery um you've kind of had your own experiences with it. And I just kind of wanted to hear, you know, your story a little bit, hear about, you know, what you went through and, and kind of like what you're doing nowadays. And I'll just kind of throw the ball in your court and let you take it from there.
1: Oh, yeah. All right. Um, I don't know. I was a, yeah. You know, as a kid, I wasn't very social. So uh, when I discovered alcohol, I was like, wow, I could be like a social guy and all that. And Yeah. Just started drinking like everybody and um I don't know, I got really bad into drugs and stuff for a little bit, but I didn't really get addicted to any particular drug and so I joined the Coast Guard just to get away from it after my friend OD'd. So I uh the Coast Guard is really a good place to go if you want to learn how to be a, an alcoholic. Because I mean we would drink until three in the morning and <laughs> we wake up at five in the morning and run miles, you know. Right. So uh it was it's a it, traveling around the world, drinking my way around the world, you know, it's a lot of fun, but uh yeah, I, I, for years, I just uh, blackout drunk every time. Uh, always wake up like, who did I piss off? Like, I know this person hates me now, but I can't remember what I did. You know that kind of thing. So, uh, and with my wife, it was, you know, she was really tired of it. Had to stop. Uh, so I asked the uh, the VA for Naltrexone, which I had heard about, and it's a, uh, it's basically an opioid, opioid antagonist. It uh, blocks the endogenous like the natural opioid um in your brain so your reward system so whenever you do something you know your brain that's good your brain is supposed to you know reward you like oh that's a good thing you should eat food you should uh exercise or whatever you know uh but it it, alcohol and and other stuff kind of hijacks it and um and I got prescribed naltrexone. I only took three pills and it uh, pretty much eliminated my alcoholism for uh, several years. And then I took it again only twice. And it uh, now I don't even think about alcohol ever. So it's just kind of an amazing thing. I guess that's a really bad summary because it's you know, 40 years of my life, but um, I don't know. Uh, it's just, uh, it's a way to, to quit drinking by It's really a cheat code. It's if you're already sober, like there's no reason to even listen to this podcast because it's just going to tempt you into like, oh, I can still drink once in a while. (laughs) But uh, because you have to drink in order for it to work, like you have to, you have to take the naltrexin an hour before you drink, and uh, it kind of makes you queasy a little bit sometimes if you don't have a big full stomach so you want a full stomach you take naltrexone you wait an hour and then you can drink and when you drink it's a totally different experience like it's not negative it's not like that uh ant abuse where you like start vomiting or whatever um it just it feels more mechanical when you drink you just uh it used to be this warm glow that would just come up and just you know, let me know. Like, oh, yeah, that's what you want to be doing. But now it's just like I can feel like, oh, I just adjusted a chemical. Oh, I can feel how it makes my stomach feel. Oh, now I can feel it coursing through. And it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't have any of the same luster. You know what I mean? It's just. Uh, it's completely evaporated. That now I barely even think about it. Interesting. Interesting.
0: And yeah. So, so like, how long ago was your last dose that you took?
1: I took a. I've taken a total of. Five doses in my life. My my psychiatrist at the time with the VA told me to take it every day, which I knew was not the right way. It's actually very bad. Most doctors don't know anything about it, so they just give it to you. They tell you to take it every day. Maybe if you're an everyday alcoholic, you probably should take it every day. If you if you're drinking at work and stuff, I, I wasn't I wasn't that way. But um, it really, you just take it an hour before drinking. I did it three times the first time. Um I the first time I took it, I took a pill, waited an hour, a little bit queasy, but not too bad. But then um and then I drank. And my wife was very skeptical, as you can imagine. If you've if you're an alcoholic and you your spouse yeah. is not, then you know what it is <laughs> like. She's still anxious about it, and it's been like years. Yeah. Um, but um so I I, I you take it an hour before, and then I think I drank like six beers or whatever, and I was like, wow, that's kind of a weird experience. And then the next time I did it, like a week later, took it, waited an hour, only drank a couple beers, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm just not really really into it." And then I did it one more time, and then after that, I did not touch Naltrexone. I it sat in my cupboard for three years, and I would go out to friends' houses or whatever, and I wouldn't feel. Like oh I can't be around alcohol or whatever I can have a beer or two whatever, but after three years it did. After three years of doing that, it did start to creep a little bit where I was like oh I'm thinking about alcohol a little bit, so I did it again. And ever since then, like I couldn't care less. Like it it just completely eliminated. I think I've had a a bottle of uh, whiskey that I had for my wife. I think I've had it six months now. I think there's maybe halfway gone because I have one glass and I'm gonna finish it. I dump it out. It's just it's just not i'm not interested in it anymore it doesn't make it so i feel monstrous when i have alcohol or anything i just that glowing attachment that i had to it, that magical that magical kind of um, draw that i had it's just completely gone it's unpaired alcohol from my reward system so i don't get rewarded when i do it um i i do sometimes because i'll feel a little like oh really depressed so i should have a drink but i don't even finish the drink you know or um, i'm really nervous about meeting these people so i'll have a drink but it doesn't it doesn't loosen me up the same way it doesn't make me confident the same way it's just the alcohol is just uh, it's kind of like just re- removing this mask that we have on alcoholism and alcohol as an alcohol as a alcoholic of this magic thing that like makes everything better and it doesn't you know it just yeah. Yeah, it removes it so I can go out with my friends and have a drink, uh, but I, and I will, I'll have a beer. Or something. I've also noticed beer kills my guts now, which I, it was my primary thing for a long time. And now I'm like, wow, that stuff, every time I even have one beer, my guts are, and so for years of me doing this, my guts are just a, a nightmare now.
0: So. Yeah, they're like, they're like, cut it out, dude.
1: <laughs> we <Yeah>. get it <laughs> yeah I, I have like the, the colon of like a 90 year old woman it's crazy
0: <laughs> so um so that i mean that's that's phenomenal man i'm i'm glad to hear that um you know you've you found something that that helped you out with mm-hmm. um you know the obsession now were you the type to drink because you didn't have other coping skills at your disposal like or were you just the type of drink it was just a social type of thing so
1: that's what you did oh no i would drink by. i primarily drink by myself um yeah no no i was i was a i was a pretty pretty good drunk uh it wasn't an everyday thing but it was a um at least in every other day every three days kind of thing and i'd black out every time and uh i just say dumb stuff when i was blacked out that had nothing to do with me as a person or my personality so it, it just started really uh eating away at my relationship and it I wouldn't say started. It was, you know, 20 years ago, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I just kept it yeah. up for 20 years. So it, it was just, and it was a time I was just like, you know what, I'll try this stuff. Cause I don't want, I, I know that I don't have the strength to just stop drinking and just do it like that. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll try this stuff and see if it works. And it did. And it was, it was like a cheat code. And if, for those people that are still drinking, not people that are already sober, those people that are still drinking and they they're like, man, I don't want to quit drinking altogether, but I want to not have this kind of problem anymore. It, it, it might be an option. It doesn't work for everyone, but it might be an option at least to get you down a little bit, you know? Um,
0: yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. Um, what, did you have any DTs or anything like that? No, I had noticed some
1: shakes here and there. Um, yeah, I, I did know some shakes here and there, but I and a lot of irritability with, with withdrawals. But I never got massive physical withdrawals. Um, yeah, I saw them a lot. I used to work in inpatient psych, so I would see a lot of withdrawals, like from all kinds of different drugs. And I, I had the the psychological aspects of it. I was very irritable, and like that's all I could think about. And like I was just miserable all the time uh, when uh you know the day after or the day after that um and you know it just gets in your head like that little earworm and you can't get rid of it and you're like you're driving by the liquor store and your mouth starts watering a little bit you know yeah so, I, I mean I, I mean i i was definitely an addict like it, no question like it, it affected my life in a major way but i i wouldn't say that i was having massive like dts or hallucinations or anything like that Cause I usually, I couldn't, my body couldn't handle doing it every day. It had to be like an every other day, every three days kind of thing. Cause uh, when I drank, I would drink so much. It would just cripple me for a day. You know?
0: Right. I, and I, I'm not a scientist. Let me, you know, go ahead and throw that out there before I say this dumbass thing I'm about to say, oh. but uh, uh, it seems to me, it does seem to me that certain people are affected more by, um, you know, the physical withdrawal, not the mental. Uh, it seems like there's certain, certain body types that. And I, I, I can't put a label on, I don't know, you know, I can't look at someone and be like, oh yeah, you'd have DTs, but, um, it does seem like it affects some people more than others, you know? Definitely. Um, so,
1: and, and I'm sure there's some variations on, like, I, I really, I know some alcoholics that I know that, uh, well, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that naltrexone wouldn't really work on, um, just because, um, well, I always thought mine was really mired in my method. Like I have pretty severe depression from you know being on too many meds as a kid and it just kind of iatrogenically uh caused me this uh difficult to get rid of depression but um i always kind of coupled it with that depression and i thought oh well the drug is just because to the depression but it wasn't it was just paired with my reward system and uh once i impaired it like it was a completely separate thing like it wasn't even a coping mechanism it was just it just exposed it as like this fraud the fraud that it is you know right um yeah, so I don't know. I, I I think that there's definitely people that it won't work for, um, and I definitely think that um, I've seen withdrawals from. I've seen people who dr- drink less have less withdrawals than people who drink more. So I I don't know. There there's definitely a big variation in in withdrawal symptoms for people. I've noticed that too.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, help. Shit, I've been through twenty inpatient facilities, man. So wow. I have, I have seen my fair share of. I'm sure. People with uh, withdrawal, I, hell, a lot of people with wet brain. You know, people mm-hmm. who ain't never coming back. Um, yep. And, but I've also seen other people. Were like, yeah, I drink that much, and they were just fucking fine after a week or two. You know, and it was like it, yep. it never made it a whole yeah. lot of sense
1: to me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I, it was like a magic, magic switch for me. It was just, it was just some, like it just, it got exposed as a fraud. It was just a, it was like a, it just hijacked my natural reward system, which is supposed to help me do things and it, uh and it never let me go. And yeah, I don't think that, I don't think that's what it is with everybody. You know, um, I think some people, you know, I mean, if you're in so much misery that alcohol is, is, what keeps you going then it might not you know um, right but it did help me a lot and it did kind of uh you know in conjunction with things like that like it really helped me to to change the my perception of it as opposed to yeah it's just booze like everybody did, you know and i could just see it i could i could feel it go down my throat i could feel it in my stomach and spread out and i could feel that it was just a chemical that i was imbibing and it wasn't my dopamine was what was doing most of the things that I really liked about it. It wasn't the actual alcohol itself, you know?
0: Right. Right. Here. Yeah. That is. Uh, but I, I think that's kind of the nutshell for a lot of people, you know, um, mm-hmm. dude, I think it's, it's stellar that you found this solution, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and I wanted to know more about it cause I mean, admittedly alcohol was never really my thing. That was not my get down. So, um, uh, you know that mm-hmm. wasn't
1: an option for me. Oh, but what what was your major thing?
0: Meth and heroin. So what I'm, was your
1: major? Uh, yeah,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. I so I would get way too spun out on the meth, so I would have to take the heroin to calm myself down, and then I'd be too calm, so I'd have to get the oh, meth, and it was just <laughs>
1: never ending. You know? Yeah. I mean, no, no. I I know. I, I I used to I used to be a chipper. I used to when I lived in Boston. I used to. Uh, every once in a while, I would, uh, you know, for a weekend just get a couple bundles of uh, heroin and do it. You know, I never really liked Coke, but I think it was because I, um, or meth, because I think I was, uh, I was, my brain like formed under dexedrine and Ritalin. So it was like, yeah, yeah, I used to take that for breakfast when I was six, relax, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it never really impressed me that much. So I was never big into speed, but um, I remember I really liked heroin, but I never, it never grabbed me like alcohol, but I think because, It wasn't a social thing. I think alcohol really grabbed me at first because I was so not good at social interaction and it really helped me with that. And then your whole teenage years and and all that, you know, it's all about social interaction. It really helped.
0: Man, you know, and here's the wild thing I, I identify so much with that because while I could sit here and say like drugs were the most destructive thing to ever cross my path in life, they also gave me every single bit of social. Skills that I have
1: currently. Yes. Without drugs,
0: I never would have gotten to where I'm at now.
1: Oh, totally. Well, and and yeah, you. you, There's so many skills. Like, I mean, I've done. uh, I mean, everything. I mean, I was big into him for a long time, but uh, just like learning how to like read people and like if they're sketchy or not sketchy, or you know what I mean. You, you, you can learn more towards working with in psychiatry just by being like a drug addict like hanging out with drugs buying drugs you know what I mean I always (laughs) joke because my wife is such an innocent like loving like empathetic person she could never buy drugs I would never bring her with a drug deal because she'd just be like wait a minute are we buying drugs like she just has more like (laughs) sense of that like that that subtle um you know just little eye movements and looks and handshake like you know if that person is catchy or not right and oh man it's so applicable to real life it's crazy
0: Yep. Yeah, that is, that is absolutely insane. You know, and, and unless you've been there, it's hard to describe it. It's really tough to describe that level. Oh
1: man. Totally. <laughs> like getting ripped off and like, I remember getting ripped off of drugs, like in the middle of like, a, like ghetto Connecticut. Like I think it was, uh, West Bridgewater, some East Bridgewater, some something it was horrible. And just like you're in the middle of nowhere, you're all alone, and you're like trying to buy drugs off like people like, that like there's 20 of them, and there's one of you. And it's just, like, <laughs> like uh, people that climb Everest, like they don't know like the fear that that is you know? <laughs> for real. man.
0: what my, my last on my last relapse, man, I went over to this hotel. Uh, somebody said to meet them there, and so I met them there. They they're supposed to be by themselves. And I walk in this hotel and we walk down this hallway and then um, this person says, Hey, he's here out loud. And I'm like, that's weird. Why would they say that? And then while we're walking towards their room, one by one, the doors in the hallway start to open and more people join this little hall. And I'm like, I'm getting no. fucking murdered today. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to die. And uh, you know, Thanks to drugs, I you know had the uh, had the ability to kind of con my way out of that when I made it out unscathed. But uh, oh yeah, dude, I mean, oh, you, well, you
1: you did meth too. Like I never really dealt much with meth people because oh, God. they even they were just too much for me. you know what I mean. Like <laughs> I mean, I was I was like a raver. I was like ketamine and MDMA and acid and all that. And uh, once in a while, some heroin or coke or something. But man, meth people, I just I I, I just remember going to buy mescaline off uh in a meth house and it was just like the dude's like it's all dark in there and he's got like a shotgun and he's like jittery and i'm like no no just chill I just hey relax i'm just buying hallucinogens bro (laughs) oh man i I just couldn't do it i couldn't i could never be a coke dealer either like three in the morning like being a coke dealer oh my god I, i couldn't handle that
0: No, it's too much. It's too much, man. I mean, we talk about high maintenance addicts, (laughs) all of us, all all of us types were, man, you know, (laughs) but, um, so how, how would you say, like, after having, you know, your life experiences and whatnot, you know, you're, you're, you're a father, you got kids in your life that you're watching grow up. Like, what is your interactions with them? Like what, how is your approach when talking about drugs?
1: Um, I don't, I, I'm just pretty much honest about, uh, everything with my kids. Uh, I mean, my, my two younger ones are a little too young, but to really talk about it much with, uh, but my 13 year old knows that I, I still, I smoke, I, my depression is so bad that I cannot eat. I have no appetite whatsoever unless I smoke marijuana. So, and I don't smoke it all day. I just smoke it at night. So I only eat like once per day at night. And he knows that he knows that whenever I cook a big meal for like the family for like a birthday or whatever, I'm going to sit at the table. I'm probably not going to eat because I don't eat till like nine at night. Um, Yeah. So he's pretty well aware of it, but he kind of, uh, you know, views that as a medicine or whatever, but I also tell him stories about, uh, you know, the bad times and and whatnot. And, you know, he understands, but um, it's also, I'd rather him, a lot of it was because of, the uh, the whole rebelliousness thing when you're a kid and you're in the woods drinking with your friends or smoking weed or whatever and um just the the fact that you feel like a badass and all that you know and I, I kind of took that away with my kids because I'm like you know hey, you're not going to be as bad as me, as you know what I mean <laughs> like if you if you're going to smoke weed like I want to know about it but um a lot of our hippie friends around here because we're homeschoolers and we're, we're friends with a lot of hippies and stuff and they all let their kids and we don't but he doesn't really fight about it. I don't know. If, if you raise your kids right, like they don't need it as an escape because they're they're already pretty much uh, happy. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And it hasn't really come to that yet. Um, but w- when he does, I mean, it's just, I'd rather him just be open and honest with me so I can see the, the trajectory of his uh, addiction if there is one, you know what I mean? So I can kind of stop it before it starts.
0: Well, and you know, you, they lucked out right? Because you got your childhood fucked up the same way that I did. We got those Johnny B. Good medications yep. shoved in our throat early on. Yep. And yep. Uh, exactly. it's not exactly a good ground floor <laughs> foundation, you know, for a no. successful. I, I, yeah,
1: exactly. And it's not even our parents' fault. It's not even our parents' fault or the pharmaceutical industry's fault. Although, I mean, there's some blame, whatever, both ways, but it's really just, um, our parents brought us to somewhere cause we had, like I was a child of a divorce, like everyone else our age and I had behavior problems. So they brought me and then they're, instead of recommending more love and attention, they're like, Oh, just give them drugs. And yep. so then that was my solution. Like, Oh, you, I don't need love and attention. I can just do drugs. I feel just as good. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, you, you just learn that over time. And that's the, uh, the thing with our kids, like we're not going to teach them that, you know, it's unconditional. Our love and affection has nothing to do with uh, your dopamine system. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, at all, man, that I, I distinctly remember that moment when I took, uh, when I took a pill at an early age and I, and I was like, Oh shit, I can use an outside substance to fix an inside problem. Nice. You know, yeah. like that. Was I,
1: okay. I remember the exact, I remember the exact moment sitting in the, the relief that I felt in the psychiatrist's office when, He's like, you know what, I think maybe you're just, uh, you have uh, bipolar disorder. And it's not your fault that you do all these things. It's just, well, we just got to get you on some pills and then they all stop. <laughs> they didn't all stop. But, you know, at that moment, the relief that I felt like, oh, my God, I'm not a bad kid. It's just like my brain's messed up. Like, and it's the same relief that my parents felt, probably. You know what I mean? It's not our fault. It's his brain's messed up. You know what I mean? It's the simple solution with a simple answer. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah.
0: Now, um, how would you put, and just, this is just a pure curiosity. How would you put your, um, like attention to focus? Like, are you able to, to like kind of concentrate on things that you don't necessarily find interesting?
1: Oh God, no, I, I am awful at that. I, I've always been awful with that, uh, Same. ever. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it was always awful, but it's when I'm into something, I'm into it. Like, I mean, I would start, if I was into a subject when I was a kid, I lived near the library, and I used to go every day after school to avoid going home. And I would just find a section and just read the whole section, read every book, like super into it. But if it was, and then I go to school, and I wouldn't, I never did homework ever. I don't think all the way through college, I don't think I did any. But um, I, I'm just not interested in learning something uh, that I'm not interested in. You know what I mean? It's always been like that. See, um, I,
0: I got this I, I running theory. Uh, I got this running theory that mm-hmm. the uppers, the amphetamine salts of of the modern day, they don't actually give somebody the ability to focus. It just coats you in such a euphoria that you start to give a shit about things you normally wouldn't and therefore you're able to focus
1: yeah, that that's not a bad that's not a bad theory actually. I also think that um. I'm trying to think. I had had this whole thing before where I I think there's a serial, like, I don't know if you know anything about computers and things like that, but serial versus parallel processing. I've always seen like ADHD is just, uh, it's a a variation, like uh, almost a, I don't want to say evolutionary because it's a very short time span, but like a socio evolutionary kind of um, thing where our brains change to, instead of, I think that people with, uh, the, who are claimed to have ADHD have a better job at parallel processing. They're better at, uh, you know, focusing on some things that's, uh, more than one thing at a time. And a lot of the studies don't, don't really coincide with this. I, I don't agree with them, but, uh, I, I think that our, we, uh, it's really hard for me to describe, but, uh, Uh, Our brains kind of—they're better at uh, intaking a whole lot of information at once from a lot of different places, but um, we're much worse at um, trying to think of the word here. Um, The coalescing—what's the word for coalescing them in our brain? You know. uh, I can't really think of the right word here. should have thought that about that before. But yeah, um, I don't know. I, I think it's a serial processing thing versus a parallel processing thing. I, it, we're, we're very good at things that we love. And this whole part right here, I'm just mumbling about nothing you can cut all that. Out. <laughs> no, you're oh, good, man. Sorry.
0: You're good. It tracks. I like I understand what you're saying. So like
1: so some, I, I some did I dude, did smoke know. a bunch of weed. Before. I did smoke a bunch of weed before. <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry. <laughs> you're good to do man. still smoke weed. I'm not completely sober. You're uh, all
0: right, bud. Um but uh I think yeah. so like some of the some of the problems I run into personally is like maybe it's not so much that I can't focus on the one thing. It's just that I focus on everything at once. Right. And so mm-hmm. yeah, it's like paying attention to ev- people's moving in the room. And I noticed this at work, like whenever they're giving a presentation on some like new office software system that we have to start implementing or some goddamn form that we have to start filling out a certain way. Like I get instantly fucking tired because it's every ounce of energy that I have to focus onto the words of the, pr- of the person speaking. Like I oh, don't yes. give a shit, yes. and it's just like I start to get yes. real. It's fucking just like
1: tired. that that old thing that I. Yeah, it's like that old thing where uh, I don't know if it's really true, but people used to always say that introverts like you have like a like a stopwatch or whatever, and then you hang around with other people and it drains you. And it's the same thing with paying attention to shit that you don't care about. It's very difficult, and it just really drains you, and it just it leaves you so you can't remember anything at that
0: point. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. And I don't know if I was always like that because I I can't remember before the pills. Like I can't really remember how I was in classroom settings prior to the medications. I distinctly remember when they happened and how that affected me at school. But like any time before that, it's just, so I don't know. I don't know if, the, if that was a result of the pills or if I was always like that, who the fuck knows.
1: I'm sure it didn't help. Yeah, I don't remember either. Yeah, I don't remember either. It was I mean, it was kind of early. I remember like my first like vomiting from lithium and, and stuff like that, but I don't remember I don't remember a lot of my early childhood before I started taking all the meds and uh, I don't know if that's the reason why or synaptic pruning or what, but yeah, it it was really difficult as a kid to just I don't know. I just always didn't feel normal. But then when I was drinking and everyone else was drinking, I kind of felt normal, you know, and it was very attractive to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I get, you're, you're, you fit in. You're a part of, mm-hmm. you know,
1: yep. it's almost like your brain is slowed down enough so you could be normal, you know? Yes. It, that's what it kind of felt like.
0: Yes. Without a doubt, man. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you talked about, you know, you and your wife have been together for a while. She's seen you, uh, back when you were really struggling with the booze. Like, what does she think about the progress that you've made and, you know, like, the 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 treatment that
1: you took she's still scared even though it's been like it's been so long but it was many years where um i mean i got a dui when she was pregnant with my first kid you know what i mean she was like 9 months pregnant i got a dui you know um and then just so many times in our lives where it's like affected her a lot so she has kind of a ptsd kind of thing going on with uh with drinking so she she still can not even though i mean well, for the first the first time that I took it, I said I took it three times and the first three times that I took it, it was in a row like a week after another. And um and then I drank like a normal person for a while and and then slowly crept back and she kept expecting it to come back quicker than it would, um, than it did, but um and then so every time I would drink at all, even if I just had two beers, she'd get very nervous that I was going to turn into my old self, and and I didn't. Uh, but then after three years, like I started, when I was out with friends, like oh, I'm drinking a little too much, so I better do it again, and then I did it again, and now it's completely gone. But she still, if I ordered a beer in a restaurant, I can still tell that she's going to just getting anxious. She's it affects her a lot, you know. Yeah. And she's she's primarily the reason, even more so than my kids. Although obviously I don't want my kids to. See me drunk and all that, but um, but it, it, it was a major source of anxiety for for many years. So she um, she really didn't believe that it was working, even when it was obvious that it was for a long time. Um, and I don't blame her. I mean, you know, it's a lot of trauma. You know, I mean, I would never hate her or do, you know. But I would just I was a dick, you know. whenever, whenever I was drunk and I was blacked out, like I would just say like whatever I could to like make everybody around me hate me you know
0: yeah uh, yeah. turn into a community punching bag yep yep i get it i fucking understand completely man (laughs) um so yeah i i you know and and my wife we've we've come a long way you know um but there is moments that when i behave a certain way because i was a douchebag too i would i would um start a fight to get her mad, so that way I could go leave and go get loaded. You know that oh, was yeah. my move. That was my oh, fucking yeah. move, man.
1: Oh, it was great. It's a great excuse. You're like, yeah, well, it was your fault, not mine. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna drink yep.
0: this poison and kill you. That's what I'm gonna do. Yep. You know, stupid shit like that. <laughs> and yep. um, yep. And I I can Hot tell actually. like if I'm in kind of like a, a cranky, shitty mood or whatever, you, you know, you could tell, you could see it in her eyes. She's like waiting for the other shoe to drop, it. and so it's like, okay, I need to step back from this for a little bit. I need to calm it down. Yep. Um. But uh yeah, that is that is interesting, man. Well, um, Chris, brother, man, I'm I'm so glad that that you came on and and talked about your um, you know, what worked for you and kind of where you're at now and all of that. What, and this is something I have everybody do who comes on and shares your yeah. story, what is something that you would tell that person in the audience right now who is struggling and can't fucking get out of it?
1: Um, i would go on if you're if you're a drunk and you um, and it's really affecting your life go on, just go on youtube and look for ted talks naltrexone or ted talks and claire method and it'll come up with this actress who was on babylon 5 back in the day i don't know if you ever watched it but she had a real problem with alcohol and she gives this whole ted talk and that was what that one ted talk is what was, made me Uh, Seek it out from my doctor, and my doctor—most doctors—they don't believe in it. They don't know about it. They don't know how it works. They're probably going to give you a prescription to take one every morning. Do not do that. It actually makes you drink more if you take it when you're not drinking. Um, So don't do that. But um, go look up uh, the Sinclair method TED Talk on there, and it's Claudia something. I forget her name, but she was on Babylon Five, and and she'll explain it and her experience with it, and. and then, really, just you, you got to find a way again. There's a there's a Facebook group on it too, where they help with sourcing it. If you don't have healthcare or anything like that, like they they're like, oh, well, this place you can go, and you just do a online thing like they do with Viagra or whatever. You know what I mean? So um, definitely try it because you can still drink, but you won't want to. You don't have to anymore. You know what I mean? You have to drink for it to um, for it to work, like a couple times. And then you can still drink. Just take it a, a half hour before, an hour before, and it will block it. And it will really, I guarantee it help uh, most people.
0: Right on, man. Well, yeah. I will. Um, I'll look up that TED talk and I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. And Great. Uh, yeah, man. Just like I said, thanks a lot for coming on, bro.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, man.
0: Anytime. All right. I want to thank Chris again for coming on And, and sharing his story and spending some time with us um, Man, I, I tell you I have had such a blast Getting to hear all these different stories From people And learning all the different ways that people find freedom And uh, this was a new one for me And I really thoroughly appreciated it And so uh, in the show notes Like I said I would do on On the podcast I have included the YouTube link to that video Chris was mentioning uh, Check it out You know, If you are a problem drink and you have tried every other, you know, every other avenue, uh, maybe you, you haven't tried rehab or you haven't tried the 12 steps, it's just not something that appeals to you, hell, go talk to your doctor about naltrexone, you know, maybe it'll work for you, um, I don't care what avenue any of you use to find freedom, I just care that you find freedom, you know, and I, I hope that uh, you're able to join us on this path to a, uh, to a better life, you know, So uh, anyways, that's about it That'll do us And and I have a uh, song for this week Was mentioned by my good friend Greg You guys remember him from way back when uh, He was on to share his story But this is The Devil Makes Three And the song is called Chase the Feeling So uh, here you go Y'all have a good one
2: See you next week Takes one to know one I know how you feel You've got your hunger and some problems that are real And you're dealing with some demons who are driving you insane And i seen them drag you screaming down the hallways of your brain You got loaded again Ain't you handsome when you're high? Nothing matters, chase that feeling till you die Let it ride in there, let it run your life Let it run your children off. let it run your wife Let it take the joy you love, turn it to despair You know you know better You just don't care Cause you got loaded again Ain't you handsome when you're high Nothing matters Chase that feeling till you die number one, tangled up in two While you were shining like the sun With a pretty piece of hunger Who was younger than her eyes I begin to wonder how it is you're still alive Cause you got loaded again Ain't you handsome when you're high Nothing matters, chase that feeling till you die. Nothing matters, chase that feeling till you die.